Good morning. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be before you all bringing the Word of God this morning. And this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was meditating on the book of Genesis, particularly chapter 1, where we're told of this great and wonderful God, this loving God who, out of the great love that He has created everything that exists, He created the world, the galaxies, and then He created man. He created Adam and Eve and placed them in a garden with the many trees, with many different fruits for them to enjoy, to point them back to Him. And as I was meditating on this, I was reflecting on the fact that they had no reason to doubt God. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve, they gave in to the serpent's temptation of doubting God and His Word. And Scripture tells us that Adam and Eve, they willingly disobeyed God. They disobeyed God and... Excuse me. They disobeyed God. And God had warned them not to eat from the tree a tree that had no magical powers, a tree that was simply given to them to remind them of the fact that they were not their own creators, that they were created beings and that God is the creator. With this warning to not eat from this tree, God told them that the day that they would eat, that they ate from the tree, they would surely die. We read in scripture that when Adam and Eve ate from this tree, They didn't die immediately. God displayed His mercy, His grace, His compassion, His love. And in this, we see that God, rather than giving them what they deserved, which was death, which was to annihilate annihilate them, God drew near to them and made a promise to make things right again. When they ate, they hid. And we see God's love and His faithfulness and His mercy and His compassion in that when they hid, God pursued them. God, knowing all things, asked three times, Adam, where are you? Adam, who told you you were naked? Adam, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? God, knowing all things, knew these answers, but we see God's love in that he pursued Adam, getting him to confess his sin, not to hide from him. And I bring this up as I was meditating on this this week so that we can think through these experiences as we focus our time this morning on Psalm 32. So please turn there with me. If you're using one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you'll find it on page 462. If you're visiting us with this morning and uh, or you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we'll be making reference to this Bible. And it'll be helpful to know that the big numbers are the chapters and the smaller numbers are its verses. And before we read it, I want to give us some background information. Uh, the Psalter, the psalm, is a collection of poems made up of 150 different life experiences. Uh, and they were primarily composed by King David. These experiences range from everything from fear to anxiety, from suffering to sorrow and joy to delight. 
And if you look at the title of Psalm 32, you'll notice here that it says, um, your Bibles uh, will say, a masculine of David. And this word can be understood as a teaching or instruction, and therefore can be read or translated as an instruction of David. And most commentators would agree that this psalm was written by David once the joy of his salvation was restored by God after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband Uriah, as recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. In Scripture, we also find in Psalm 51 a, a prayer that David wrote, a prayer of confession, confessing to these, sin, to these sins where he pleaded with God for cleansing. And there we find pray, David praying, If you have mercy on me, O God, if you wash me from my iniquity, if you create in me a clean heart, if you restore the joy of your salvation, then I will teach transgression, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you, and my mouth will declare your praise. And so this helps sets up, to set up the context for our passage this morning. This is a psalm of instruction from David as he teaches us from his experience. Let's look now at Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In our passage for today, David instructs us from personal experience about how we are to respond to God when we sin. And if you're taking notes this morning, our main point for today is this. Christian, when you sin, you can come before God humbly and confidently to confess your sin. When you sin, you can come before God humbly and confidently to confess your sin. And we can do this for five reasons. And these, are the, this, these will be the points that we will be going through this morning. We can do this because, one, God is merciful. And we'll see that in verse 1 and 2. Two, God forgives, verses 3 through 6a. Three, God protects, 6b and 7. Four, God, God's love surrounds those who trust in Him, 
verses 8 through 10. And God is a restorer of joy to those who trust in Him. Verse 11. And I'll be repeating these points as we tackle them along. And my desire for us this morning is that we would identify and learn from King David so that we wouldn't hide from God when we fall into sin. And that we would have confidence and turn to God for cleansing and forgiveness because of what Christ has done for us in His life, death, and resurrection. So Christian, you can confess your sin to God because God is merciful. David begins this psalm by describing the condition of the man who has been forgiven by God. And here he makes reference to himself as one who has been justified before God. If you note there in verse 1, he starts by saying, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In, in the Bible, whenever we notice that a word is repeated, it's repeated to make an emphasis. And here we note that the word blessed is repeated twice. This word is an expressive word, and it appears a few times in the Bible. When it is used for God, it carries the idea of praise. So, for example, when Job uses it in Job one twenty one, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or in other words, may the name of the Lord be praised. When it is used for man, it carries the idea of a person's state of happiness. And David begins this psalm by telling us of his happiness because of the mercy that he had received from the Lord. David understood a few things. David understood himself to be a transgressor of God's law, of doing that which was prohibited by going beyond the boundaries that God had established for him. David understood that he was a sinner, one who had disobeyed God by deliberately doing that which, was, which he was not supposed to. And he also understood that he was a man in whom there was iniquity by doing that which was perverse and distorted in God's eyes. Now these words, trans, transgressor, sinner, in whom there is iniquity, these are synonyms that help us to have a more complete picture of what sin is. But David also knew that God was a merciful God, gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who forgives iniquities and transgression of sin, and so he describes what God has, had done for him on his behalf. And there again in verse 1 and 2, David describes God as forgiving his transgression and doing away with it. As covering his sin by putting it out of God's sight. He describes it as not counting or not being credited with the iniquity that he had committed. David's happiness was due to the fact that he knew he deserved to die. He deserved to be cast out of God's sight forever. But God had forgiven his sin. In other words, he had been released of his debt. David had been declared innocent, though he was guilty. The punishment that he deserved 
was withheld from him. A burden had been lifted off. Have you ever been let off the hook for something you knew you deserved to pay for? If so, you know the tremendous guilt and fear that accompanies the wrong that you have committed. When I was 19, I was speeding down a residential street because I was running late to class. And I got pulled over by a police officer. Immediately, I felt a great burden because I knew that I I was going to be given a ticket and be fined for what I had committed, the crime that I had committed of speeding. My mind was flooded with thoughts of how much the ticket was going to cost me and how I was going to pay for it. When the officer walked up to the window, he asked me if I knew why I was being pulled over. And when he asked, I looked down with guilt, feeling guilt and shame, knowing that I had been caught. And I said, yes, sir. You pulled me over because I was speeding and I deserve the ticket that you're going to write. And he looked at me and he said, I was getting ready to listen to you come up with a story about why you were speeding. And he said, you know that speeding down the street is... It's against the law. It's dangerous. You could kill somebody. And I agreed. I said, you're right. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to let you off with a warning. Don't do it anymore. Hurry up. You're late to class. And I was shocked. And I was filled with relief and joy all at once because I didn't receive what was coming to me. I was extremely happy And I left and I told all of my friends once I got to school what had happened. This example falls short, but it gives us an idea of what God has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. David describes himself and all who receive God's mercy as being blessed. And the reason we're blessed is because we have not been treated as we deserved. We have been declared innocent. And treated as such, even though we don't deserve it. Where each one of us has sinned against God by rebelling against Him, by not keeping His word, deserving to die. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. On the cross, Jesus became our substitute and paid for every sin that you and I would ever commit. And it is because of Christ's life and death that our sins have been forgiven, covered, and not counted against us. Let us never forget that the righteousness that we have been credited with is not a result of our own works, is not a result of the things that we can do or have done, but is a gift of God that has been freely given to us by trusting in the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the basis of our joy which enables us to enjoy right standing with God. And the psalmist is extremely happy for this undeserved mercy that he had received from God. It was God's undeserved act of compassion and love for him by doing for David what he could not do for himself, which is to make things right with him. 
First Baptist Church. Are you experiencing this kind of joy as a result of what Christ has done for you? Are you delighting in the God who has been merciful to you by not treating you as you deserve? Do you remember that at one point we were doomed and we were on our way to judgment? Does the reality of God's forgiveness lead you to share your joy with those who are desperately looking for happiness in the wrong places? I pray that God's word would lead us to be the kind of church that boasts and brags in the mercies of the God who pardons sinners. So again, Christian, why can you come before God to confess your sins? This leads us to point number two. You can confess your sins to God because God forgives. Let's look at verses 3 to 6. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. David now invites us into his own experience of misery that he felt after sinning against God and refusing to acknowledge what he had done. Now, the phrase that we read here for when I kept silent could be rephrased as when I refused to confess or when I feared to confess. In scripture, we find that one of the effects of sin is that it blinds spiritually. Paul writes to the Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. He also writes to the church at Ephesus, calling them to not walk as, the, um, as unbelievers walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. This is the effect that sin was causing in, the, in, in David's life. And we see this in at least two ways. The first way is that it blinded him to his sin. In, first, in, in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we are told of the day when David was supposed to be out at battle. But he remained at home. And as he was relaxing, he noticed Bathsheba as she was bathing. This was the day that he lusted after her and eventually slept with her. Though he knew that she was married to one of his soldiers, he took her for himself. Giving into his sin blinded him from seeing God's commandment not to covet, not to commit adultery, but also to love God above all else. His sin had consequences which resulted in Bathsheba's pregnancy. And once again, sin led David to conceal his sin rather than confessing it, which continued blinding him and led him to plot the murder of Uriah. The second way that we see that sin blinds is that it blinded David to the reality that God is a forgiving God. 
His blindness to this led David to keep silent and to not run to God. This is similar to what happened in Genesis, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned. Rather than running to God, they ran away from God and hid from God. And they attempted to cover themselves with with leaves as if those leaves could really provide what they needed. Christian, I want to ask you, when you sin by doing that which is wrong in God's eyes, are you quick to confess your sin to God? Are you intentional about coming before God, agreeing with Him about your sin, and asking Him for forgiveness? Or do you keep silent while your bones waste away? We can imagine guilt and shame eating away at David's conscience, leading him to torment, anguish, and distress. The loss of sleep, the absence of peace, feeling like the weight of his sin and the just punishment that he deserved was at the corner, waiting for him. Knowing that the shedding of Uriah's blood demanded his own blood. And in verse 4 we read, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Brothers and sisters, when you sin, do you see God's hand being heavy on you? Or to rephrase it, do you feel God's conviction? And do you see it as His love for you to lead you to Him to ask for forgiveness? Or do you resist it? Seeing this conviction as an undesirable gift to be rejected and ignored. I pray that we would accept this good gift of God and run to Him because He is a God who forgives, as we see in verse 5. Here David writes, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So how do we do this? If we look at verse 6, we find the answer. We do this through prayer. David calls believers to do this. He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. A few years ago, as I was going through my phone bill, my cell phone bill, I realized that I was signed up for a plan that came with benefits that I was not using or taking advantage of. At the time, I was paying about $130 a month. And if I remember correctly, it was for about 1,800 minutes. And I was only averaging about 400 minutes a month. Most of my minutes were coming from my mobile mobile minutes, and most of my communication was done through text. It turns out that I had been paying an extra $40 a month for about two years, which ended up 
amounting to $960. $960 down the drain. One of the blessings that Christians have, if we want to look at it as a phone plan, is that we have the privilege of coming before God in prayer. And if we look at the privilege of prayer as a phone plan, we have the best deal possible. Did you know that you have unlimited access to God? A direct line to Him. 24 hours a day. 7 days a week. 365 days a year. From anywhere in the world. With no roaming charges. (laughs) With rollover minutes. And all of this was placed on Christ's account when He gave His life for us on the cross. Also that we would have access to this great God. Friends, this is a glorious truth for us. And so let me encourage you to fight the desire to keep silent when you sin. Turn to God in prayer and acknowledge your sin to Him. Do not assume that your forgiveness comes by trying to do a few good works here and there. That it will come by sharing the gospel as you are on your way to school. Or dropping a few cents in a homeless person's cup. As you get your lunch. As if these things could make you right with God. We must remember that God does not delight in external works apart from your heart's motives. David writes about this in Psalm 51, 17. And I'll read it to you. David writes, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So turn to God and agree with God about your sin. Because He has already, He already knows what you have done. There is nothing that you can confess to Him that He doesn't already know. That He hasn't already judged on the cross when He let down His wrath on Jesus Now, if you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a believer, I have good news for you too. This offer of forgiveness is for you as well. The Bible teaches us that God is the creator of the world, of everything that exists, and that we are His creation, and that we have rebelled against God willingly by rejecting Him, by rejecting His word, by not living under His rule and instead living for ourselves. But God in His kindness took it upon Himself to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live the life that was expected of us and to die the death that we deserve to die. Also that if we repent from our sins and turn to Him, we would be forgiven of our sins. And so God calls you to turn away from your rejection of Him and to turn to Him by acknowledging your sin before Him and placing your hope in His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you too can experience this forgiveness. We must remember that sin will try to blind us to the fact that if we are in Christ, He has taken the punishment for our sin on Himself on the cross of Calvary. 
we have to remember that every last cent that was owed to God has been paid with Christ's blood. And if this is true, which it is, then you can confess your sin to God, knowing that God will forgive your iniquities. And so this brings us to our third point. You can confess your sin to God because God protects. Or God protects His people. Verses 6b through 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, up until now, David has been sharing about the sweet state of happiness that a child of God experiences. He's walked us through the misery that is also experienced when sins are not confessed. And we also see that God forgives us when we confess our sins to Him. And now David encourages us by reminding us that in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach the child of God. In, dis- in the despair of guilt and shame that may rush through one's conscience, the Christian can stand firm and secure. And the reason for this is because God is our hiding place. God preserves us from trouble. God surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Notice the difference between the oppression that David was feeling when he kept silent in verses 3 and 4, and now in verse 7, the great confidence that he holds. This is a David who had found refuge and protection in God. Do you see what honest confession through trusting in Christ can do to a man? The one who once stood as a judge over David because of his sin had now been revealed to him as his savior. David was now able to face the accusations of the devil and stand firm because God hid David in his mighty hand. Because God preserved his life, and surrounded him with reminders of God's salvation and redemption. And this is what the hope of you, Christian, is. It's God, God himself. We understand that God is the mighty creator of all things, and it is to God that we are accountable to. And when we sin, we ultimately sin against him. Therefore, We must be saved from Him. And if God is merciful merciful and forgiving of sinners, which He is, then surely He is able to protect us from His righteous wrath that we deserve and anything else that this world tries to throw at us. This leads us to our next point. You can confess your sin to God because God's love surrounds you. Verses 8 and 10. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now God, through David, continues to instruct us in the way that we should go. Through David's experience, 
We come to know what it looks like to walk down the wrong path, which leads to destruction and despair. But we also find what the way out is, which is by turning to God, by confessing our sin to Him. And in verse 9, we're giving an illustration of how we are to respond to God's Word. He says, do not be, like a, do not, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. David uses this example of a horse and mule needing to be curbed with bit and bridle to help us understand that these animals must be restrained and disciplined by force in order to obey. Without these tools, the horse and the mule will be untamed and do whatever they want. But David says that we must not be this way. He calls us instead to willingly listen to his instruction and counsel and to obey it so that it would go well with us. And if we don't, then it shows that we still want to do our will and the Lord will discipline us by different means in order to draw us back to himself if we are in Christ. We see this in the life of David as the Lord used His heavy hand upon him to convict him of his sin. And how God used Nathan's rebuke to draw David back to himself. There we also find a contrast between the wicked and the one who trusts in the Lord in verse 10. The wicked refers to those who do not have peace with God and do not belong to Him. Their afflictions have no remedy. They are filled with fear so desperately that they try different means to ease their consciences, all which fail utterly. On the other hand, we see those who trust in the Lord. These are those who belong to God and who have been made right with Him through their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Him are surrounded by God's steadfast love by God's abundant mercies that are undeserved. And it is God who extends these mercies. What a blessing it is to have these mercies surround us. Christian, do you praise God for the different means that He uses to remind you that you have been purchased by His Son for Himself? Are you able to identify the good gifts of God that point you back to Himself, that remind you that you have been forgiven and are now righteous before Him? The Bible tells us that the greatest need of man is to be in right standing with Him. And Christ, God offers us that in Christ. And so friend, if you know yourself not to be a Christian and you have more questions about this, feel free to ask Pastor Jeremy or myself or any of the members around you. And we'd be more than happy to tell you about this. 
And this leads us to our last point. You can confess your sin to God because God will restore your joy in Him. Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. As we know so well, sin overpromises and always underdelivers. And as if, as if that weren't enough, it also leaves us with a bitter taste in our mouth. But God changes that. David finishes this psalm by reminding us of the greatest blessing that we have in God through Christ and therefore calls us to rejoice. And we can rejoice in God because we are no longer seen as guilty sinners before Him. There He refers to us as righteous. And if you know yourself, even if you look back at the past hour or past couple of hours, you know that you've disobeyed God in word, thought, or action. All which disqualifies you from this identity of righteous. But God addresses you not as sinner, but as righteous in His sight. You and I serve a generous God and we are called to rejoice in Him for who He is and for what He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. We have reason to be glad and to shout for joy and to tell the world about this God because this God is so merciful, loving, forgiving, kind, patient, gracious. And He treats us as if we were innocent. We are truly blessed. To conclude, we can confess our sins to God when we sin because God is merciful. He forgives. He protects. He surrounds us with His love and He restores our joy in Him. Let's pray. Oh, merciful Father, we come before You and we acknowledge that You are a God of steadfast love. We confess that we all sin against You day after day after day with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. We agree with you about our sin, that it is evil, that it is perverse. But Father, we praise you for being a forgiving God. We praise you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place so that we wouldn't deserve the righteous wrath that you will pour out on unrepentant sinners. We thank you that Jesus Christ willingly laid his life down so that we would be made right with you. We praise you that Jesus Christ was cursed so that we would be blessed. We praise you that we can now walk confidently before you without the fear of your judgment and we can walk trusting that we stand secured before you. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a people that proclaims this 
goodness of yours, your love and your mercy to all who would listen, and that you would grant those who listen to us ears to hear so that they too would come to experience this blessed joy of knowing you and being right with you. We thank you for our time in this word, Lord. We pray that you would work in our hearts for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen.